0: We're coming to the end of this series in which um, I have been kind of pushing you guys uh, in this, this time of year when a lot of people are thinking about how to better themselves and make themselves a better version of themselves. Um, we've been looking at the idea of the way that you make yourself a better person really is by making the world around you a better world. And we live, um, we live in an overwhelming time, right? Right. I mean, with 24-hour news cycles that just always have to, um, not only do they have to bring us every bit of information they can possibly find to bring us, but everything they bring us is like breaking news, news alert, like this just in, and you're like, ah, man, breaking news, that happened two and a half days ago, just because you put a graphic up, doesn't mean it, but like there's just that, ah, that they kind of create within all of that. Um, I mean, we know about every disaster that happens anywhere, both in our country, um, internationally. There's pictures of everything now. There's videos of most things now. It's very rare anymore to see a news story about something and there not be somebody somewhere with a cell phone that has captured this video. And we walk around, as people, we walk around with access to all information known to man in our pocket right? And and, and many of us are addicted to these things that have all of this information. In fact, some of us even have alerts on our phone that alert us when there's something that we should be looking at. I, I mean, that's just, but we know, we know about all of the issues. We know about poverty. We know about illnesses. We know about human trafficking, about homelessness, about starving children. We know about natural disasters and refugees and wars and droughts and famines and, um, and, and uh, drug e- epidemics and social injustices and crooked politicians and hypocritical religious leaders. I mean, everything there is to know, like we know it, it's on us. And then on top of that, which is a whole bunch of out there kind of stuff, then you have like all of the, um, the personal tragedies that we know about, right? Somebody, a friend is getting a divorce and their marriage is falling apart and there's that that you know about or somebody's losing their job or a family member got a bad diagnosis from their last visit to the doctor. Some of us know people or maybe people who have dealt with death of loved ones or child or spouse. And if you're a compassionate person, Living in this environment where all of this is known all the time, I mean, it can be absolutely overwhelming, right? And if you're anything like me, there's a level of frustration um, because whether I actually can or not, I like to think that I can fix anything, right? And I operate my life like, ah, there's nothing I can't do. And I'm afforded that privilege in a lot of ways, but that's kind of how I view life. There's nothing I can't do. And sometimes when I'm looking at some of these things and reading about some of these things, like I realize, oh man, there's nothing I can do. And there's this sense of frustration that comes with not being able to do anything about it. And and if you've spent any amount of time at all, like one of the ones that's really difficult for me is if you've spent any amount of time at all in a developing country, And you're just standing there and you just look around and you look at just the level and the extent of poverty that surrounds you. It just seems hopeless. How do you ever fix something like this? How do you ever make a dent on it? And nobody really knows. I mean, governments have thrown trillions upon trillions of dollars at this idea of trying to somehow make a dent into poverty, and there just seems to be no solution to it. What, what do you do about that? What do you do about those kinds of things when there's problems that just seem so big that nothing can touch it? And, and depending on your personality type, there's, there's, you can respond to different ways to this kind of thing. A lot of people are just like, "Uh, well, I'll tell you what I do and what you should do is you should probably just quit reading all that stuff, get on living your life, go to work, forget about it, and just be. And don't worry yourself with all of that stuff. And I know some people like that, and, and I think, if I'm honest with myself, I think I have the ability to do that. If I wanted to, I think I could choose to disconnect my mind pretend it doesn't exist and get very like singularly focused my wife that's not an option <laughs> she she the idea the idea of me even being able to disconnect from something like that emotionally makes her angry at me because she can't no matter how hard she tries and so not only now is she all concerned and overwhelmed with all of the huge giant problems that she can't do anything about but then she's mad at me on top of it. And so I don't, because I don't want to add one more thing. Well, that's not the only reason that I don't just choose to disconnect. The other reason is I'm a Christian, right? And most of you, as far as I know, are Christians, and Christians aren't supposed to disconnect. Christians aren't supposed to just, ah, I'm going to live my life and pretend that none of this is happening because I can't handle the overwhelming pressure and feeling of all of that. But as we look at this stuff, ah, We can't solve it. So what do we do? And part part of the problem is awareness. I'm, I'm old enough to remember of time, and many of you probably remember this as well, but a long time ago, the only poverty that you knew about was the poverty that you saw, right? And you saw it in your town, which may or may not have been, but probably wasn't really that impoverished of a town. And so when the idea of poverty came up, it was like, oh, you didn't think of all just the overwhelming hopelessness. There's, it's stuff in your town. Something can be done about that. You, you knew about that. Or the only divorces that you knew about were those in your family or in your close friends. You weren't coming across statistics of more marriages are failing than staying together and things of that nature. The only natural disasters were the ones you experienced. Maybe every once in a while the newspaper the local newspaper would run like about a two hundred word article on something that happened somewhere there'd be a little black and white like out of date dot printed picture that you couldn 't really see much of that might show you what it was but but that was it that was about it we, we didn 't really know what was happening all over the world all the time, and as a result of that in that time period, people were able to deal a little better with their own local drama and their own local issues because that's all they knew. It didn't seem like this big, overwhelming thing. Yet every day when we wake up, we are immediately hit with and aware of everything that's happening everywhere. And there's kind of a sense of despair that goes along with that. It's overwhelming. You can't shut it off. We shouldn't shut it off as Christians. And so over the last few weeks, I, I've been asking you, what is it that breaks your heart? What is it that captures your emotion? The thing that you keep thinking about and you can't let go of it. Some of you, um, some of you have had to think about that question. And maybe it wasn't something you really paid attention to before and, and you've had to think of it and come up with things and maybe try and find something. Some of you are like, one thing, Like, how do I narrow it down to one? What kind of world are you living in that there's only one? There's so much. What do you do with it all? And then on top of that, there's this whole idea, and I won't go into this too much because I can get soapboxy on this issue. There's the whole idea of, like, misguided compassion. That people who like, okay, I see this and I'm going to do something about it. But they're not really interested in really figuring out and learning what the best thing to do about it is. They just want to do something about it that makes themselves feel better. And so they do something and it seems okay for a minute, but really in the long run, it made things worse. Because they went in with a short-term plan and ended up doing the exact same things that just exasperate the problem so that the next generation is going to have to deal with it on an even larger scale than the current generation. Is dealing with it. And so with all of these things, there's nothing that we can really do to fix them, to eradicate all of these issues. So, so what do we what do we do with that? And more specifically, what do we as Christians do with the overwhelming need? Because it's all so big and it's also overwhelming, and we can't fix it, but something needs done right so to start this new year i've challenged us to look beyond ourselves and to become better people by making the world around us better and luckily we've been given a clue in the scriptures as to how we can go about in all of this overwhelming mess how we can go about doing this if you have your bibles we're going to be in galatians chapter 6 and galatians is a letter that paul had written to a group of believers And he was just sharing some ideas, giving them some instructions. And in this letter, he covers several topics. But there's one section specifically where he kind of talks about and touches on or centers on our social responsibility as followers of Jesus. And what is our responsibility in light of the fact that we can't change the world on our own and we can't cure every social ill, that we come across. So what are we supposed to do? Here's how it starts. Galatians chapter six, beginning in verse nine. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. And this is a crucial sentence. And it's a crucial sentence because some of us are wired in such a way that we become weary or tired of doing good. And in this context of good, when he's writing here, this context is like the big, broad good. So being good ethically, being good morally, the being good to other people, whatever, whatever doing good covers, everything that's under the umbrella of good, don't get weary doing those things. And to me, it's a little bit of a relief to hear Paul trying to encourage the readers of this letter because you know if we're honest with them ourselves aren't there times that we just kind of get tired of doing good i mean aren't there times that we just we get tired of being generous oh that's terrible to say in church eh, let's be honest with ourselves there's no need for any of us to pretend we get tired of serving other people sometimes right we get weary of always caring, of always being engaged, of always being invested, of putting others before ourselves. That gets tiring sometimes. We get tired of not doing what it is that we want to do and always considering others first. And Paul encourages, he's like, guys, guys, I know, I know, I know, I know. But, but don't get weary. Hang in there. four at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And Paul says, look, guys, I understand the weariness that comes with caring. I understand the tiredness that comes with carrying other people's burdens. And that's a very Christianese thing to say, that phrase. But I know you get tired when you're stepping into somebody else's life and you're helping to prop them up and you're taking a little bit of the weight off of them, whether that be a financial weight or, a, or an emotional weight, that you get, I know it's tired. I know that there's information overload, and you can only take so much, and you just mentally and emotionally get weak and weary, but don't become weary and doing good. In, in other words, he's saying this, he's saying this, please do not disengage. Right, Because some of us, <laughs> we get to points where everything inside of us wants to be, I've given, I've got I've to stop. I've, I've got to disengage. I've got to let somebody else step in. I can't do anything about it, and so I'm to the point where I don't even want to look any more. And Paul says, no, 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 please, 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 please don't do that because over time, There's a payoff. He keeps going. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, and that little Greek word uses opportunity there, really means time. Every other place in the New Testament that that Greek word is used, it's translated time. Some of you may even have a version of this scripture, of this verse, where it's translated time. And so he's saying, look, I know that you get weary, but as you have time, as you have opportunity in time, let us do good to all. All people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So he's saying to us, listen, as you consider your time, as you consider your opportunities, which is limited for a whole lot of us. I mean, I bet there's probably not any of us in here that would be like, oh, extra time? I got that. What do you need? That's just not how as a society we're geared to be. We're geared to fill all of our time, with anything and everything, right? But Paul's saying, listen, as you consider the margins, maybe the ones that you have set or maybe the ones that you haven't set, do good for other people. I know it's tiring. I know you'll grow weary, but keep doing good. Er Earlier in his letter, He says this, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And that carry each other's burdens, that's a heavy phrase because that's not a hey, call somebody once and ask them if they're doing okay. (sighs) Colin's a little involved, maybe text them. How are things going? Right? Because then, you know, you have the opportunity to not respond for a while at your convenience. Whatever. A call eh, that might be talking. We don't want to talk. It's heavy. It's investment. You cannot carry somebody's burdens unless you're invested in them. Because they don't trust you to help with their burdens until they know that you're invested. And my point is this, is that in the New Testament, we're taught that in spite of the fact that there are problems that we cannot solve, and in spite of the fact that there are issues that we will never be able to fully fix, and that there are things that are wrong that we will never be able to set right, we are responsible to do what we can for somebody somewhere. In other words, I know that there are things we'll never fix. But that's not an excuse to do nothing. That's not an excuse to just pretend that it isn't happening. You're responsible to do what you can for somebody somewhere with our limited time, with our limited resources. God has given us opportunities. And we cannot allow ourselves to become so overwhelmed that we end up doing nothing. So how do you do that? How do you keep from being so overwhelmed by a never-ending deluge of problems and issues and tragedies and heartbreaks? How do you get to that point to where you make your way through the unsolvable problems of the world and say, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do? Now, here we go. I'm glad you asked the question, how do I do that? Because I have got a super practical answer for you this morning. Here it is. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I came across this idea, I don't know, about, what year is this? I've lost track. 18, so that would be about six years ago, I came across this idea. And it changed the way that I viewed things and changed the way I went about approaching certain things. And the reason that I love this phrase is because because it flies in the face of something that I heard all the time as a kid. And you heard it all the time as a kid as well. And when we were kids and we heard this, it would make us so mad. Like We would get angry about it. But yet, now that we're adults, we say the thing... That makes us mad. Here's what it is that we would hear. Let's put ourselves in a situation. Maybe we were at school as a child. And we would go up to our teacher. And we would ask our teacher, teacher, can I? And then we would ask for something. Can I go get a drink? And the teacher would look in this. And then look at us and would say, no. I can't let you go get a drink because then I would have to let everyone go get a drink, right? Or maybe you were asking your parents, hey, 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 dad, 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 can I get one of the ice cream bars out of the freezer? No, because if I let you have one, then I'd have to let your brothers have one and I'd have to let your sisters have one and then everybody's eating ice cream and there goes dinner. (sighs) okay, maybe you had a coach and you're like, hey coach, I've been thinking, maybe I could do this. No, 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 you can't do that because if I let you do that, then I would have to let everybody do that. And throughout our childhood, people use the ridiculous idea to deny us things by saying no, because if I did it for you, I would have to do it for everyone. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I would hear that said to me. And in my mind, I would be thinking, no, you don't. You really don't. Here's how we can do this. Let me do what I want to do or give me what I'm asking for. And then you don't say anything. And I won't say anything. And then everybody else will be none the wiser right? So that's just, you know, we don't have to do that. And so just let. Besides, who decided that anyway? Who decided that if somebody did something for one person, they had to do it for everybody? Where did that come from? Who decided that if you let me go, you have to let everybody go, right? And so then what's happened is this idea that would make us angry when we were kids because we knew on some level, we knew that it just wasn't true. It just didn't want to, right? And this is, we've kind of brought that into our adult life and our adult way of looking at things and approaching things. And, and this, this idea, and we miss, we miss this powerful of idea of, wait, 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 it's backwards. I can do for one what I wish I could do for everybody. Because honestly, As Christians, this is our responsibility. This is what we should be doing. And we aren't to allow ourselves to get so overwhelmed by the massive need. And since we say, well, we can't do it for everybody and we can't fix it for everybody and we can't get everybody out of it. Well, then I'm going to throw up my hands and not do it for anybody right? We do it for no one. And I'm telling you, so many of us as adults, we have been so overwhelmed with the needs around us in our community, in our state, in our nation, in the world. We've been so overwhelmed and we've decided since we can't fix it, that we're just going to do for no one because we cannot do for everyone. But if you're a Christian, you cannot crawl into that hole and hide. You just can't. So the question that you need to really be asking yourself has got to be this one. Who's the one? So if I'm to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone, who's the one? where are they which is the one and this is a liberating idea yeah but Annie 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 but that's not fair to everybody else to which I would say so forget about fair don't even try for fair listen God's not fair your mama wasn't fair your dad wasn't fair life isn't fair forget fair Fair, fair is about fair fair's, fair's about an excuse to not do something. because this isn't about fair. This is about doing what's right. And so do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And so he, here's my here's my prayer for this year that we've just begun for you guys. And for all of us as a church, my prayer for you is that God brings that one, that one single mom, that one struggling family, that one group of kids, that one person in your office, that one children's home, that one ministry downtown, that one person struggling physically, that one that God brings that one across your path and that he would nudge you and say, Hey, 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 that's your one. That's it. That's them. That is your one. Now do for them what you wish you could do for everybody. And don't use the excuse of, well, since I can't do it for everybody, I'm going to do it for nobody. Now, to do this right, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to sell you a bill of goods. I'm going to, to do this right, it's difficult. So here's three tips that you can apply as you go about this. The first one is this. Go deep rather than wide. Go deep rather wide. In other words, for example, if for some reason maybe you've got um, a passion for high school or junior high students. Because when you were in school at that age, your, li- your life was a mess and you wish somebody would have done something for you. And so you've kind of got this passion for that age group. Well, if that's the case, then you need to find a small group of kids in that age group and invest in them. You don't need to try and invest in the entire school district of that age group. You need to go small. You need to go deeper. Don't just care about the plight of the poor. Care about the plight of a specific poor person don't just don't just don't just be surface find a person and invest in them go deep into them because our tendency is to go is to go wide not deep because wide is easier and honestly wide makes you feel better about yourself and by wide, I mean, wide Just like, oh, I care so much about the poor. So, okay, well, I'm going to give you $20 here and this. Oh, look at you. I'm going to give you $50. You, ah, I'm going to give you $10. I'm going to pray for you once. I'm going to pray for you once. And you just kind of spread it all over and wide and try and, yes. And you feel really good about yourself when you do those things. Yes, I'm giving money. Yes, I'm praying for people. Yes, I'm doing it really good. But, but. Can I be honest with you? You're not making a lick of difference for anybody. Going wide makes you feel better, and that's it. That's what going wide does. To do, for one, what you wish you could do for everyone means you've got to go deeper into a specific person or group. Not just do things randomly wide all over the place. The second one is this go long term rather than short term. This is a commitment. To do for one is a commitment. And we are not very good with commitments and long terms because we are an instant gratification society. And when we don't get instant gratification, we lose interest and things begin to just kind of fall off. I mean, come on, how many things have you started and you didn't get immediate results and you can't even remember how you even quit? You just know you're not doing it anymore, right? I mean, that's all of us. That's what we do. But if you're gonna do for one, you've got to commit. And the reason that so many of us avoid doing for one is because it requires a long commitment. Listen, some of you cannot even commit to lunch after church. And I'm not even talking about like lunch after church next week. Because, oh, I don't know. Next week, who knows what comes. No. I have literally <laughs> driven from the church to a restaurant for lunch. And somewhere along the way, the people that were going to have lunch with me just, eh, maybe not. And just never showed up. And I'm sitting there waiting at a table. And I say, hey, are you guys almost here? Oh, well, we decided to go home. And you guys think that's ridiculous. That's just a preacher telling a story that didn't happen. No, that happened. It literally happened. Luckily, I wasn't to meet them alone. And so I had someone else to eat lunch with. But listen, commitment is a difficult thing for us. But if you want to make a difference for a one, you have got to commit for the long haul. The third third one is this, go time, not just money. Now, I didn't say go time, not money, because if you're going to invest in somebody, it's going to take a little bit of money. But time, time is important. And this is hard for us as Americans because we are rich. Some of you are like, wow, maybe you're rich. I'm not rich. Yes, you are. I bet I could go out in most of your ashtrays for your cars. that I still drive old cars. Some of your cars probably don't have ashtrays. But where the ashtray would be. And I bet there's change laying in there. And listen, to be in a society where you keep money in basically a trash can, <laughs> that's, you're rich, Right? And us rich Americans, we love giving to something for a minute to make us feel better. Oh, that's a good cause. I'm going to get $50. Oh, I feel good. I'm going to get $50 here. I'm going to get $50 there. And we love throwing money at things and then feeling good about it and then being done with it. But if you're going to make a difference for a one, you've got to do more than that. You've got to give time. Now, don't get me wrong. Giving money is not a bad thing. A lot of people get to do really good things because people give money. So don't stop doing that. But if you're going to make a difference for a one, you are going to have to invest time. And but investing yourself specifically investing your time, that will make difference a difference in a way that money alone could never possibly make. And that's what you've got to do if you're going to invest in the one. So listen, I'm going to be honest with you. If you decide to do this, if you decide to invest in one and you say, "I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to go deep. I'm not going to fade away on this. I'm going to be all about it. Listen, I promise you, there's gonna be frustration. There's gonna be disappointment. There's gonna be anger at times. There's gonna be times where you feel used. There's gonna be times where you feel like you're not making any difference in this person's life at all. You're gonna feel like it's difficult to continue. Listen, I have been in positions to where I've decided, okay, I'm gonna invest in the life of one. And sometimes I've gotten into the life of one and I've realized, oh my goodness, I am not enough even in this one. And so we've recruited other people and other families to help. Come on, all of us together, we can help this one. And things are going good and we're feeling good about ourselves. And all of a sudden, that one just does something that completely undermines everything you'd work towards up to that point and sets everything back some months. And you're just like, what are you doing? What's the point? Why are we investing if this is going to happen? And there's going to be times that people do things that just drive you crazy. And there's going to be times where they come across and they seem ungrateful for the things that you're doing. It's gonna happen because listen, the ones that we need to invest in are damaged people. And we can't come in like we're some kind of savior and throw a couple meals at it and a couple dollars at it and spend a little time and think, all right, everything should be great now. No, it takes time and there will be issues. But, but, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. If we don't give up, when everything inside of us is like, I'm done, don't give up. Now, some of you already know who or what your one is. Some of you, you've, you've known since we started this series. Some of you need to keep your eyes open. But listen, if everybody in this congregation does this, if every single one of us invests in a one, then our world immediately around us is going to change, if even just a little bit. But even bigger than that, can you imagine the difference that would be made If every follower of Jesus decided, I can't do for everyone, but I can do for one. I can invest in one. I can make a difference in somebody's life somewhere. We would be living in a radically different nation if this is how the followers of Jesus behaved when it came to this issue. And listen, we're not going to change the world, but I know this for sure. We can change somebody's world. And in the process, I promise your world will be changed. So we can't run and hide. We can't be overwhelmed. We can't grow weary in doing good. We have a margin of time and opportunity And this year, as God nudges you, I hope you will do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this can be such a radical idea. God, this can begin to change things around us in a way that... We, we would be shocked by. But even more than this, God, this is an idea that as your followers, you have called us to embrace. So as we leave today, as we go about our lives this week, God, I pray that you keep this idea in the back of our minds that it almost becomes annoying to us that we can't shake the idea of the one. Who's the one? Who's the one? Where is the one? And that, God, we keep our eyes open. And that when that one crosses our path, that, God, we know, that we feel that nudge in our spirit of you saying, there it is. There they are. There's the one. And God, let us undertake, not under our own power, but through you, let us undertake investing in the life of the one. Through the weariness, through the disappointment, through the frustration, through the setbacks that will inevitably happen. God, let us commit to making a difference in someone's world. Lord, I thank you that at some point in all of our lives, you brought somebody across our path that made a difference in our world. Now let us go out and do that for others. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen, amen. Look forward to next week as we wrap up this series in... A pretty exciting way. I hope all of you can make it, and I hope everybody listening on the podcast that I know every time you miss church, you listen to the podcast. <laughs> we'll be here next week for a particularly exciting sermon.